Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tennessee baseball is headed to the College World Series, and Mike Wilson will be headed to Omaha to cover the Vols. Welcome in to the Volunteer State. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside the Knoxville News Sentinel's resident baseball expert, Mike Wilson. Mike, uh, you're becoming a, a frequent traveler to Omaha, Nebraska here uh, during your time on, on the Tennessee beat. At, at one time this season, I think it maybe didn't look like Tennessee was going to make this journey, but here they are, red hot, playing their best ball of the season, and among the final eight headed to the College World Series. How, how did they do it? Well, first off, I'm glad I didn't cancel my hotel reservation in Omaha at the midpoint of the season, uh, but I was talking to other team's beat writers who I might need to transfer that reservation to at some point. So full disclosure, you know, Tennessee at the midpoint SEC play was five and 10 coming off a sweep against Arkansas, um, went and swept Vanderbilt after that swept Mississippi state kind of really got things together right around there. But I think what really happened and what you look back on was the Arkansas series was a turning point, maybe more so than the Vanderbilt series was. I think the Vanderbilt series validated the turning point. Uh, but Tony Vitello switched up the pitching rotation, uh, going to Arkansas, put Andrew Lindsay on Friday, bumped Chase Dillander to Saturday, bumped Chase Burns to the bullpen. Everything changed for Tennessee with that decision. I also think you saw a team come together. Um, did a story earlier in the year about strength coach Quentin Everhart and the couple days that team had after they got back from Arkansas. Uh, rough Monday, that Tuesday they lost to Tennessee Tech and everything changed them. And they started winning against Vanderbilt. So they figured it out, but I think it just, it came down to a team with so much talent, actually playing like a team with so much talent. This was the number two preseason team in the country. So they should have been in Omaha all along, just weren't playing up to that potential. Tony Vitello warned early that this team was probably being overhyped uh, with how many players they replaced. And he looks like he knew his team um, a little bit in that respect, but they are exactly now where they should have probably been all along based on expectations. So Tennessee will will begin play in, in the College World Series on Saturday night against LSU, a team they dropped two of three to during the regular season. And and reviewing the stage of how Tennessee got here, they blazed their way through the Clemson Regional, and then they took two of three to win the the, the Southern Miss Super Regional on the road. I mean, game three, it was uh, I mean just a pitching delight. Really, Drew Beam got things rolling, and then Chase Burns came in and, and was just mowing down everyone. But we know, Mike, that that LSU has arms of their own. So what do you sort of expect from the, the pitching matchup uh, that we could see, you know, in, in Tennessee's opener? Yeah, it's tough. You know, the last time Tennessee went to Omaha in 2021, it faced Virginia and Andrew Abbott, who now is in the big leagues with the Cincinnati Reds. And Abbott was as good as anyone out there in college baseball that year. And he mowed through the vol, sent them to the loser's bracket. And unfortunately for Tennessee, Congratulations, you reached the College World Series. Now you get to face Paul Skeens, who is, if not the number one pick, the number one pitcher in this year's MLB draft. I mean, 6'6 guy throwing 100 miles an hour, absolutely filthy breaking stuff. 
Um, has 36 more strikeouts than anyone else in college baseball this season. 12 and two, I think just as good as it gets. Um, so that's a tough draw. Um, cause you know, you lose that first game similar to a regional in Omaha, you lose that first game. It's really hard to get back out. Um, you got to win four straight to get back out of it. So Tennessee's got his work cut out for it. And I'll be intrigued to see what Tennessee does uh, in terms of its pitching decision against LSU. Tony Vitello is stuck with Andrew Lindsay as the game one guy through the postseason. did it in the Clemson regional, despite Lindsay facing his former team in Charlotte, um, did it again in the super regional against Southern Miss. So I feel like you're going to stick with that. But at the same time, you also know that Chase Dolander has the higher ceiling in that matchup. Whereas Lindsay's floor is probably low or uh, is a higher floor. So what you're going to get from Lindsay is more of a middle ground, but you know, it's not going to be terrible. When Chase Dolander has been bad, he's really struggled, but we also saw elite Chase Dolander in the super regional. So Tony Vitello has a, a couple good options there. I'm curious which way they go with that. Mike, when you, you look at this team, it, it felt like early in the season, they were, I, I don't know if this was on their minds or not, but it, but it seemed from the outside looking in that maybe they were struggling in the shadow of, of last year's team. Now, last year's team, uh, you know, didn't make it to Omaha. The 2021 team did. And, and for all that last year's team accomplished the 57 victories, um, you know, many considered them to be you know, the favorites to, to win it all. We know this tournament is, is unpredictable uh, and they didn't make it to Omaha. Um, it feels like at this point, though, with this team rallying, um, you know, the back half of April throughout May, now in the postseason, that they have emerged from the shadow of of last season uh, by accomplishing something that that team did not. Do you feel that way? And 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 do you think that that was something that maybe affected this team at, at any point, sort of living up to the expectations um, that the team before them had had set? Yeah, I think in a slightly different way, I think this team was dealt the difficulty of dealing with what last year's team created in opponents. Uh, last year's Tennessee team walked into your stadium, beat the living hell out of you, told you how badly they beat the living hell out of you, and then kept telling you about it. This year's team was not that team. Um, and I think in some ways they dealt with the consequences maybe of, of last year's team um, you know, that whole target on the back notion you talk about in sports teams want to beat the heck out of Tennessee because of what they experienced last year and in parts the year before that. So I think this team wasn't ready for that in many ways. I do think the shadow thing is interesting. If this team was trying to play like last year's team, they were mistaken for that because they were not last year's team. They weren't in 160 homers. They didn't have a Drew Gilbert, a Jordan Beck. There's not those guys on this team. So a lot of this was, as Tony Vitello said Sunday, this team needed to carve out its own path. Uh, and it kind of took a bumpy, circuitous route to get there. And it took a while, really, to get there. But I think you've seen in the past five games, six games in the postseason, Tennessee be more of that. You probably saw it in spurts. Late April was really good. Some good May spurts as well. But yeah, I think this team has figured out who it is, um, opposed to who last year's team was. And Andrew Lindsay was a huge part of that in terms of being a Friday night game one starter. Um, I think Chase Burns in the bullpen added an attitude to this team. So overall, this team had to figure out what it could do compared to last year's team while probably dealing with what last year's team instilled in opponents about what they wanted to do to Tennessee as a response. Mike, if, if 
Tony Vitello could uh, decided to run for Knoxville mayor, he'd probably win by about 20 points right now. Um, I don't I don't know Tony's uh, political persuasion, and and I don't know that it really matters uh, with the success he's he's had in in his role. But um, you know, despite the in all the accomplishments he's had, we mentioned getting to the World Series in, in 2021, the 57 victories last year. Then you look at this season. Um, it took a while to get there, but they got there in the end. Where does this stack up in in your mind uh, in in terms of Vitello's best coaching performances? Because you've really, I mean, you've been out, been here throughout most of of his tenure, certainly since he's gotten it going at Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I think you point back to 2021, and that team has had this this magic touch at winning games late. I think it was seven walk offs throughout that season, um, including obviously the the legendary Drew Gilbert Wright State Grand Slam. Um, there was this kind of a a vibe with that team that worked so well. Um, and to me, that that year was a breakthrough of recruiting. Um, you know, Gilbert Beck were guys that for, uh, chose to forego the draft, came to campus. That was huge. 2022 was kind of the comeuppance of all those guys, like the guys who, who came through an absolute dynamic pitching staff where, again, Chase Burns decided to come to campus over the, over the draft. Chase Dolander transfers in. Drew Beam becomes a superstar out of nowhere. It was kind of a confluence of perfect storm. And I, I think what might have been lost with last year's team was, man, there might have been five or six big leaguers on that team. Um, and certainly there's a huge element of coaching that goes into every single season. But I think what was missed in the overall success, maybe because of the bravado in a way, people missed how dang good that team was. I mean, Ben Joyce is already in the major leagues. Drew Gilbert's at double A. Trey Lipscomb's at double A. They had 10 guys drafted. Um, I mean, there, there's other guys from that group. Beck is gonna is gonna be a big leaguer at some point. You can trickle back to the year before. Jake Rucker's a big leaguer. I mean, they had a lot of professional players on those teams, and this year's team does too. But the way that this team had to navigate was different. This team didn't walk in awesome like those other couple teams did. This team walked in as a lot of talent, turning over a whole lineup, and what's it gonna be? And I think what you look at to get to the actual question you're asking, this team could have imploded in the middle of the season and understandably so with how things were going. Uh, I mean, nothing had gone, gone well, fielding mistakes, poor executional situational baseball, pitching staff not living up to its billing. Uh, Tony Vitello talked the other day about this team was awkward in the fall. It didn't, just the vibe wasn't there between the, the team and the players and everything going on. And, Instead of you know completely fracturing, it's a team that has rallied together, and that's got to be a credit to Tony Vitello. Uh, at the end of the day, um, when you're in charge of the team, at wins and losses are credited next to your name, right? Um, and I think what you've seen is him bring this group together, him not let this team give up, him manage the fluctuations, um, and also maybe above all, making that pitching change at midseason was was took some stones. You're telling a future top 10 pick and Chase Burns, you're out of the rotation, you're in the bullpen. Um, that's that's not a light decision. You know, there, there's ego involved with, with players and decisions like that. And saying, hey, we're putting a guy on Friday night who didn't play baseball last year. He's going to be our Friday night guy. And telling Chase Dolander, another potential top 10 pick, you're on Saturdays now and Burns is in the bullpen. That's not a small situation to manage. So I think when you look at, first of all, the gall that it took to make that, Secondly, the way it's worked, yeah. I mean, this this is an impressive coaching job as I've seen uh, from Tony Vitello. 
Yeah, and, and you mentioned how it's paid off, and, and it paid off once again in that decisive game three in the, the Super Regional with uh, with Burns coming in, throwing flames uh, to kind of remove any doubt, uh, you know, of, of a Southern Miss comeback in, in that game three. Um, you mentioned the bravado of, of last year's team, Mike, that they really became known for, whether it was, you know, the antics or, or just the way they played on the field. And obviously Tennessee fans really got behind that uh, 2022 team. I think in a way uh, certain Tennessee fans kind of saw themselves in that team. This team, as we've been discussing, has a, has a different makeup, has a different personality. How have you seen kind of Tennessee fans embrace this group? Has it been a slow embrace or, or how does it compare, you know, to a group that was, I think for Tennessee fans, so fun to watch last year, for everybody else, they couldn't stand them. It was the team that if they were your team, you'd love to love them. If they weren't, you'd love to hate them. How has the the um, the acceptance and, and the heart of Tennessee kind of gotten behind this group? You know, when you look back to last year's team, there were so many big personalities to, to focus on. And that, again, goes to Drew Gilbert, goes to Jordan Beck. Evan Russell is very much in that mix as well. Uh, there were just personalities and presences about so many of those people that I think it was just the ability to gravitate to personality and attention was very large. This year's team doesn't have those same things. Um, they're not the same bravado, rub it in your face. They haven't as much to rub in your face, first off, but there's not those same antics and presence and all those things that we saw. I don't think the fan base is wavered in adoring this team, though, because what you've seen probably for I mean, started some in 2019. The 2020 team was going to be pretty good. But when fans could come back to sports in 2021, as kind of it went from, you know, I don't know what, 25% attendance to 50% attendance to full attendance, this is what they came back to was Tennessee baseball. That's when things opened up again. Um, and I think there's just such a love affair now with this program because they were so sweet to watch at that point for the fan base that they haven't wavered at all. Um, they stuck with this team. Attendance was still good. Support was still good. Environment was still good um, throughout the season. So it's just a different team for fans to love, though. Um, but I think you're starting to see more of that charisma now. I mean, Chase Burns' celebration the other day was really something to behold. Um, Chase Dolander, who's not an emotional guy in the mound, had a couple really good emotional moments coming off after some innings. And um, Drew Beam was out there electrifying it. So I thought there was a lot of that starting to come into play um, with this team now. And yeah, I mean, I think the fan base has been unwavering pretty much in terms of cheering for this team and supporting this team. Cause as you mentioned, Tony Vitello could run for mayor because the guy is so well loved when it comes to Knoxville. Next time you talk to him, Mike, maybe you might have to get an idea of his political party and, and, and see if he has any uh, future and as a, as a lawmaker, you think he'd disclose that to you? He accidentally referenced a Kanye lyric in a post game earlier this year and goes, not that I'm endorsing what that guy says or does, like staying out of politics or something like that. So don't think he's going to go down that road. When we look at the, the College World Series field, we mentioned LSU. That's who Tennessee opens up with Saturday night. Florida uh, also in, in the eight-team field. Tennessee played both this year, dropped two out of three to those SEC opponents. And, and really... You know, this eight group group of eight teams, I mean, it ranges from number one seed Wake Forest and and their pitching staff that has um, really kind of been dominant all year, all the way to Oral Roberts. Um, 
you know, for those who say NIL and the transfer portal is, is ruining sports, well, looky there. Oral Roberts is in the College World Series. I think college sports are alive and, and well. Um, as you handicap the field, Mike, the, the odds makers say Wake Forest is the favorite. And then they, they clock in LSU and, and Florida behind them. But I'm not going with the odds makers. You're the resident expert here. Not saying you're a gambling expert, but you're the college baseball expert. So who are the favorites as you see them in this field? We did pick the regionals kind of in the, the South region of, of USA Today here. And I picked Oral Roberts to win the Stillwater Regional. And then I thought, nah, that's a really stupid pick. There's no way, right? Changed it. Then they won. So that's my one plug to I was almost smart for a day. Almost um, there. Almost there. My pick going into the whole tournament was Florida over Wake uh, for the title. I still think those are the two teams that play for it. I still like Florida simply because their side of the bracket falls so much nicer. Um, I could see them going through that very quickly. Opposed to with LSU, Tennessee, Wake Forest, I could see the winner of that one being a little slower to get out. Um, then opposed to on Florida's side. So um, I still like Florida over Wakes. I really like Florida's pitching, man. And pitching wins the College World Series so often. And Brandon Sprout and Hurston Waldrop were so good throughout the postseason so far. They were outstanding at South Carolina in the Super. So that remains my pick. But um, I'm so interested to see how the, the side with Tennessee, LSU, Wake, uh, and Stanford plays out. Because you look at it on paper, you probably say Tennessee's dropping to the loser side against Paul Skeens. You probably say Stanford's dropping to the loser side as well. I would pick Tennessee over Stanford in that. Um, I would also pick Wake to probably beat LSU in that next game. So then Tennessee gets LSU in the third game. LSU's pitching after the second game drops off very sharply. Um, they have two starters, but the third starter role has just not been there all season. So Tennessee has Drew Beam in that game which immediately gives them an advantage if that's the matchup they fall to. Um, or even if it's if it's Wake there. Wake has three good starters, so it's a tough matchup still. But um, if it's Tennessee LSU there, I think Tennessee gets back to Wake um, for a chance to kind of play for that spot in the final series. So I'm going to be very intrigued to see how that one plays out. But I think I just kind of outline how I think it's going to play out. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I feel like I, I got the bracket charted out for me. And uh, basically you're saying, uh, uh, forget this first Tennessee LSU game because a, a couple games later, there's going to be the elimination game between Tennessee yeah, and LSU. I, I would not be shocked to see two Tennessee LSU games and the results be different. Um, just because again, Paul Skeens is so good. Uh, it's, it's hard to say, Oh, Tennessee's probably gonna go win that matchup. Um, it is interesting. Arkansas faced him twice and had a lot of success the second time. Um, Kentucky also faced him twice, had success the first time and zero success the second time. So not really sure what to, to draw on yeah. that conclusion, but, um, yeah, I could see that second matchup to going in Tennessee's favor. Be more like Arkansas, not Kentucky. Got it. What is the, uh, what's the deal with John Curry, Mike? How does he have the magic touch when it comes to baseball? Of course he hired Tony Vitello, um, you know, as we look back on the John Curry tenure, brief though it was, and uh, the the move to attempt to hire Greg Schiano blew up in his face, and and that was all she wrote. But as you look back on it, you know he re he restored the Lady Vols brand, and he hired Tony Vitello. Well, now John Curry is the AD at Wake Forest, and lo and behold, Wake Forest baseball is the number one team in the country. How does this guy have the magic touch with baseball? Well 
the, the Tennessee athletics is the answer with, with John Curry, right? The Tennessee policy is one AD hires one good coach and they go from there forward, right? Because Dave Hart, Rick Barnes, so on and so forth. Danny White, Josh Heupel, Phil former Kelly Harper. So that's just, that's just kind of the history, right? Um, what What's intriguing for the Wake Forest thing though is Tom Walter has been a really good coach for a long time with Wake. Uh, I mean, this has been a good program for a, a number of years now. Um, and Wake's having pretty good athletic success overall. I think basketball was decent last season. Um, football, pretty darn good under Dave Clawson. Uh, but Tom Walter has been great for a long time. Um, when I was covering South Carolina in, in 2017, they parted ways with Chad Holbrook after the season. And Walter was kind of that name that South Carolina fans talked about in, at some points in that coaching search, um, just because he's so good. And, you know, South Carolina is as good a program as any, really. Um, especially in the recent history, 10, 15 years. So that's a guy who's had a lot of success, but um, man, what they're doing is crazy. I mean, in so many ways, they remind you of 2022 Tennessee, just from a mashing dominant pitching standpoint. Uh, I mean, they're, they have dudes everywhere. Um, what they did to Alabama at the end of the Winston-Salem super regional wasn't exactly human. So yeah, John Curry's got a good athletic department going at Wake Forest and Baseball's definitely right there. I mean, they they should be in that final series, I think, and um, certainly have a chance to win a national championship now. First one seed to do it in a long time if they do do it. I've been to Omaha. I've never covered the the College World Series. You're you're a veteran of the event now, uh, and of course, you'll have have the coverage for for Knox News throughout Tennessee's stay there, but. I'm wondering, Mike, you know, I, I always see on social media and I see the, the trendy little stories about Rocco's, the bar that does the jello shot contest with fans of, mm. of the different teams. They keep track of the, the jello shots. Uh, I believe last year, uh, Ole Miss and, and was it Arkansas, I think, got into a big clash as to which fan base could buy the most jello shots throughout the, uh, throughout the College World Series to, to win the event. Uh, have you ever been to Rocco's? Have you ever done a Jello shot uh, at Rocco's? Not period. I'm sure you've done. A Jell-O <laughs> <shot>. <laughs> We've met. I'm sure you've done a Jello <laughs> shot. Yes. <laughs> uh, have you ever been there? And if and if not, how about your your travel guide uh, to the College World Series? I know you have to work, but uh, for for folks maybe out there who who don't have to work. Yeah. Well, first off, I'm just going to handicap that one for you too. LSU fans are going to win that this year. Um, I don't even think <laughs> it's that's game over. Huh? LS, LSU it will lap the field and then some. I'm also going to pick Oral Roberts to come in last um, for for a lot of reasons. Um, I have not been there. I have done Jello shots in my life previously because I'm a human being who went to college in the United States of America. Um, Omaha. My stay last time was kind of short. Um, that said, Lead Belly has a great burger. Um, I originally had that in Lincoln back when I was covering Michigan state and they played Nebraska in football, but they have a location in Omaha. As far as I know, it's still there anyway. Um, lead belly, great spot there. Didn't make it to the Drover or Drover last time for steak, but that's the place where, you know, I get texts the other night from people who've been many times say, got to go get a steak there. Um, people went to the zoo last time, which apparently it's a very popular, prominent zoo. I've, I've um, heard it's one of the best in the country zoo guy yeah. myself. Yeah. Not, not a zoo guy but I've been told that's pretty spectacular, but man, I mean, just even from a outside of the rest of it perspective, the college world series is one of the coolest sporting events out there. I mean, Omaha lives and breathes for this and the event is just put on so well. Uh, I mean, it's, 
you know, you and I both have gotten to do some pretty major sporting events in our careers. And to me, this is the one that's put on the best. Uh, I mean, everything's smooth. Everything runs beautifully. Um, I spent like $400 on t-shirts last time. So, you know, like I think when I went through TSA in the airport on the way out, they probably thought I robbed a souvenir store. Um, <laughs> so it, it's just a really cool event. The ballpark's immaculate uh, and you see so much good baseball played. So for a baseball junkie like me, man, it's the, it's the pinnacle of this, uh, this little weird world we live in. I'm trying to think, Mike, if these jello shots, I don't know how they do it. If these, if these jello shots are like colored as if the team are, then that means LSU's jello shots are presumably going to be grape, you know, purple TCU. They're, they're grape. I don't, I don't really, I'm not a big fan of grape flavored things. So I'm steering clear of any grape jello shots. I might go for a, I might go for a cherry or strawberry jello shot. So I guess that puts me uh, on the whiteboard for Stanford. Uh, would be what I'd be going down for. What what flavor uh, what flavor of choice are you going with? If you if you stumble your way into Rocco's, uh, sounds like maybe you'd stumble your way out based on this Jello shot contest. Which 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 one you uh, log in your vote for? Not team, but you know, flavor. That's an interesting one because I go back to earlier in the season, the Tennessee Beat did a Pop Tart taste test challenge because we got into a big argument one, during a midweek game about what the best Pop Tart flavor was. So I went to the store before that Friday night series and bought like six different flavors of pop tarts. We ranked them. So maybe that's the game that has to be played in Omaha as well as figure out the best jello shot flavor. Um, I feel like I'd be like an orange guy. Um, it's a oh, classic. look at this. Get playing, playing to the crowd, playing to the Tennessee crowd. <laughs> I actually wasn't, but I do think like the orange jello, like good flavor. Lemon lime is another good option there. I think, um, but those are, you know, classic flavors, for like a Kool-Aid type situation, jello type situation. So, I think you got to go that route. All right, Mike. Well, enjoy uh, enjoy your time in, in Omaha. Enjoy the baseball, maybe the zoo, maybe a steak, maybe a jello shot or two, and you can report back what the best flavor uh, was. Mike Wilson will be out at the College World Series covering Tennessee's time. It will begin Saturday night for the balls against LSU. You'll be able to find all the coverage at knoxnews.com. And thanks for listening to us here on the Volunteer State. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.